0: It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Well, hello there, fellow Met fans. Welcome to Rico Bronia, uh, a podcast where we either bitch about the New York Mets or we're very, very happy. Today, we're very happy. The Mets complete a sweep of the Miami Marlins, a three-game sweep of the Miami Marlins, and it's huge for two reasons. Number one, the Atlanta Braves don't lose. The Atlanta Braves took advantage of the Arizona Diamondbacks over the weekend. They won all three games. And so if the Mets got tripped up at any point this weekend, they would have lost some part of their lead in the National League East. But number two, this series had a chance to be a letdown, uh, especially after what happened in the two games against the Yankees. I'm usually not a big believer in the letdown in baseball, but when you play two games against the Yankees with 42,000 people and a playoff atmosphere, and then you go to Depressionville, which is Lone Deep Ball Park, 15,000 people, granted they're mostly Mets fans, you could see how there could be a letdown. And considering they fall behind early on Friday night against Sandy Alcantara, I think we all assumed there was going to be a letdown. I think we all assumed when that bloop double fell in against Chris Bassett in the first inning, and Chris Bassett screaming and yelling about the shift, which... A part of me agreed with, and a part of me said, shut the hell up. You also walk four guys. There was a feeling of, all right, we won three in a row, won two games against the Yankees. Friday night against the Marlins is going to be that letdown we feared. But like what has happened many times this season, the 2022 Mets remind you that they are different, that they are the 2022 New York freaking Mets. Now, Friday night was a very different game for me to watch because usually, I'm in front of the game, in front of the TV. I got my scorecard out. While why the Rico Brogna artwork features the scorecard. I score, I'd say, 95% of my games. And the games I don't score, I'm still watching very, very intently. But Friday night, I got an invite from my old pal, Joe B, uh, to go record his live podcast in front of a, a live studio audience. And I had flashbacks because... I loved working with Joe, but the one thing that would happen when there was a Met game on, especially during the pandemic, when I was home and he was home during that weird 2020 season, he would have the game 30 seconds before I did because I had everything on like a streaming service. He had cable. So we're doing the show. All of a sudden, I'd hear the Beningo moan. Oh, bro, can you You got to be freaking kidding me with this. And I, I I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, wait, now I do. Bases loaded, one out, six four three 3 double play. It was always 30 seconds behind. So we're recording his live podcast, and there's a live audience. Great turnout, a lot of fun. And they had the Met-Yankee games on, and they were like 45 seconds ahead of us because we had two TVs next to us. So we're talking about Robert Sala, and all of a sudden, I see Joe and Clark, New Jersey, stand up and say, yeah! I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? What did we say that's so exciting? And then I realized by delay that Starling Marte had hit a home run. So it was a very odd way to watch a game. But I got to tell you, that is, you know, when you make that list and it's not going to make the top five of great wins because there are so many other wins that just jump out at you for many reasons. But when you think about it, they had won three in a row. Letdown factor in Miami. They're facing Sandy Alcantara for the 55th time. Hoffman will tell you, Sandy Alcantara is the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. He loves him. You're down 3-0 early. Chris Bassett's bitching and moaning because of the shift. That had the makings of a loss, and immediately the offense responds. Immediately. And even when they're down 4-3 again, there's this confidence of they're going to find a way. Even when Trevor Williams, of all people, is asked to get big outs in the eighth inning, maybe I'm nuts. Maybe it's because I was having a few beers with Beningo. I don't know. I felt different. I felt oddly confident that they were going to find a way to win that game, and that is, that's a hell of a win. And they've done a great job against Alcantara because they have now faced one of the best pitchers in all of baseball four times this year. And he should be the National League Cy Young Award winner, though – you know who's going to give him a challenge, Pete? Believe it or not? The guy who may challenge Sandy Alcantara for the NL Cy Young? Who you got a guess? Uh. Carlos Rodin. I'm no. smiling, man. Why would I smile? A Chris Bassett? <laughs> no. It's Max Scherz? A Jacob DeGrom? Edwin Diaz. Oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I guess so. Wait. You guess so. I mean, at some point, look, he has to keep this up. Right now, he's unhittable. Like, that that's where we've gotten to in this season, to the point where Friday night he came, comes one pitch away, essentially, from a, an immaculate inning. Look, I, it's very difficult for a, a relief pitcher to win a Cy Young award. We've seen it. It's happened before, certainly in our lifetime. I think Alcantara would have to struggle because, look, if Sandy Alcantara finishes with a sub-2 ERA, I'm sorry. He wins the National League Cy Young. But that's not even the point. The Mets have faced Sandy Alcantara four times this season, and here's the reality. They've won half of those games, and that's really all that matters. They got to him twice. Obviously, the game on Friday, they ended up getting to him because he allowed four runs in five innings. There was that game in Miami in late June where he gave up five runs in seven innings. He really had that one bad inning, but they got to him, and then two other times he was incredibly dominant. Back in June, he had the eight innings, two runs. Then there was the game where he pitched seven scoreless innings and the Mets couldn't hit. They ended up losing later on. I think Adam Adovino gave up a home run to uh, Nick Fortes, if memory serves correct, to lose that game. Or maybe it's a different game. But bottom line is they have faced this guy four times and they've won half the games. And once they were able to pull out Friday, there was, at least in my mind, a feeling of, all right, here we go. We may get ourselves something we haven't seen a lot this year, and that's an extended winning streak. Because they're 64 and 37. They are off to what continues to be the second greatest start in the history of this franchise, but they haven't had a lot of long winning streaks. They've done it based on consistency, they've done it based on winning series. Basically, how the season started when they just went out and won. Three out of four, two out of three, two out of three, two out of three. And there were times it was frustrating saying, hey, give me a winning streak, give me a winning streak. And they did with the back-to-back sweeps at home against Philadelphia and Washington. And now, for the second time this season, this team's put together a six-game winning streak. And Friday night was a 2022 Mets-esque victory. Everything about it. Even needing Trevor Williams to pitch the eighth inning. As far as Bassett's concerned, let me address that. I think most of us as fans at times will be frustrated with the shift, even though the shift more times than not works. And what's the proof of that? You're not using a shift unless it works. There's a reason you use it. And more times than not, we just don't call attention to it. You'll see someone hit right into the shift. More times than not, if you sat there, and I don't do this, by the way. You may think I do. But if you sat there with a piece of paper, And every time someone hit into the shift, where in a normal world, that's a base hit. But in this weird shifted world, it's caught. And you put a little line down. And then every time someone hit against the shift and beat the shift, you put a little line down. I'm telling you right now, the shift works eight times out of 10. But I get it. When you see the shift or someone destroy the shift, it's very, very frustrating. But my response to Chris Bassett, who I like, I do. I think we all do. And overall, he's had a a solid season, though he's had his down moments. Shut up. That'd be my reaction. Shut up. Especially in a game in which you walk four guys. I think that's the problem. I think if Chris Bassett went out and pitched seven innings and allowed one run, and that one run scored because of the shift, I think all of us would say, yeah, you should bitch, you should moan. But the guy went out and walked four guys in six innings. And overall, I give him credit he pretty much pitched a hell of a game after the first two innings. I mean, he gives up the three runs in the first inning, really with not a lot of hard contact, gives up the run in the second inning, and then settles down and actually gives them six innings. And I think that's been probably one of the best strengths Chris Bassett's had, even in games in which he hasn't been great. He will at least give you quality performance and get you into the sixth inning. But what was great about that win Friday was also Brandon Nimmo being the guy to hit the home run. Because Nimmo is slumped coming out of the All-Star break. You've seen that average slowly dip. And Brandon Nimmo, I read the story. I think Tim Healy wrote it, so I want to give him credit. If it was somebody else, I apologize. That after one of the games on the homestand, Brandon just went out. After the game, it took extra batting practice. That he's really working his ass off to get out of that slump. And it's great to see it pay off by hitting the game-winning home run against Miami. In what was a very 2022-like Met victory. Then you get Carlos Carrasco. How many times have we said this about this guy? We've seen good cookie, and he's the best, and then batting practice cookie. And for a while, there was a lot of batting practice cookie, but on Saturday night against the Marlins, he was freaking fantastic. He was awesome. Mets hit a bunch of home runs, which they don't normally do, and they get themselves a nice little victory. We also saw... And I, I think Hoff's going to hate this, by the way. And I think a lot of Mets fans are going to hate what I'm about to say. I think the Mets are kind of giving us an, an indication with the Tyler Naquin trade, with JD Davis pinch hitting for Vogelbach in the eighth inning and it working, him hitting a bomb of a home run of center field, that this is going to be a platoon team. That. That's the way they're kind of shifting towards now. I mean, they always were at the DH spot, but even more so when you bring in Nate Quinn, who's more of an everyday player than Jankowski is, and essentially he replaced Travis Jankowski. That I'm I'm sitting here 48 hours before the deadline, not expecting them to add a big DH. That they are looking at maybe another right-hand bat. And I'm gonna throw a name at you that I know some med fans will like, and some med fans will, you know, throw rip stuff at me for saying. But I think they're leaning in to this platoon team. And because they're leaning into being a platoon team, Hoff, I don't think they're getting a big bat before the trade deadline. Well, you know, the thing is that you saw what it took took to get Luis Castillo, who has control for a couple years, and it was a haul. I mean, you got three out of five top prospects that went back for Castillo. So I think a lot of these guys are going to be very pricey, a lot more pricey than we expected. I still think that a JD Martinez, if available, the Mets are going to be on. Maybe Contreras, but again, his price seems so high right now. But I, I still want to believe that the Mets are going to do it. I don't disagree. They're fixed. They're filling in the gaps. You're right. Like they realize that JD Davis is not competent enough anymore. Dom Smith not competent enough anymore. So their role, Jankowski not a good enough. So the fourth outfielder role filled with Nate. The Dom Smith's role filled with Vogelbach. I think they're going to fill those and still get that big bat. Lottable. Yeah, but but that's but that's what I'm leaning towards that if they add a bat, it's going to be an upgrade over JD Davis, just a right-handed platoon bat that they look at kind of like the way they looked at Vogelbach versus Dom where they say this guy is slightly better. Like I I think if the price is, it sinks on JD Martinez, and I'm not as concerned about JD Martinez because of this season as some people are. Like I know he hasn't had a great year but I still think he's got another run left in him. They make a deal for him, and all of a sudden, he moves up in the standings, and he's in a pennant race. We saw what he did in years past after being traded at the deadline. I could see him having, I don't want to say a cesspit of second half, because that's too much, but I could see him having a real good two and a half months. It's not like I'm locking him up to some kind of three-year extension. So I know he just had an 0 for 22, and he broke out of it. I'm not worried that J.D. Martinez is done, but I am worried that, and I shouldn't say worried, because I'm not sitting here dead set against this, that the Mets are not going to add a significant bat unless the price tag comes down, that they're not going to trade any of their top prospects. And if the Red Sox are going to insist on good prospects for J.D. Martinez, the Mets aren't going to make the deal.